Welcome to the Moon and You podcast. My name is Susan Hart. Women have a long documented history of being healers in their communities with proven remedies that support a strong immune system, which is our natural defense shield. Our immune system is Mother Nature's gift to us. This podcast is dedicated to all women everywhere who are rising up and taking their place in the world of ancient healing modalities. Over the centuries, humans have unknowingly disconnected themselves from nature, and as a consequence, our world is full of toxic food, toxic cleaning products, synthetic drugs, and closed-in houses with electronic boxes streaming, at times, mindless content. On this podcast series, we will find ways to reconnect ourselves back to Mother Earth, to nature, and begin to build an immune system that will shield us from invaders of ill intent. It is my pleasure to welcome to this series my first and most beloved teacher, Amy Landry. Currently based in Newcastle, Australia, Amy Landry is a beacon of light for women wanting to create long-lasting change, inside and out, via the ancient practices of yoga and Ayurveda. Owing to her decade-long teachings of movement, mindfulness and beyond, Amy has cemented herself as a new generation leader, an inspirational yoga teacher, Ayurvedic practitioner, podcaster, speaker, mentor, container of timeless tradition, a mother, a student of classic Odissi dance, essential oils advocate and, like me, passionate masala chai consumer. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. It's such a treat to be here. It's always a treat to see you. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, me too. It's wonderful. So my first question to you, Amy, is, so the Moon and You podcast is centered around a few elements, the moon phases, of course, and the female menstrual cycle. We often speak about how essential oils, yoga, and meditation can support us as women during our cycle, but we don't often speak about Ayurvedic principles. So my first question is, how is Ayurvedic understanding applied to the menstrual cycle? In Ayurveda, we have three concepts, which some of the listeners may be aware of, and that is vata, pitta, and kapha. And that might sound a little bit foreign maybe to some people, but these are three Sanskrit words, and they are the three doshas. And the word dosha itself means to spoil. And what that's implying is that vata, pitta and kapha are states in the body or energies in the body that are in a state of disharmony, if you will, or imbalance, if you will. I didn't know that. Yes. Okay, right. So we have prana, tejas and ojas, which are basically the qualities of these that are in balance and in harmony. So vata, pitta and kapha are essentially the names for when we're out of balance, if you if you will. Mm. Now, um, when we look at these three, they overlay or overlap the menstrual cycle. So typically in the menstrual cycle, we consider it as being in four stages, if you will. Um, and then these three qualities of vata, pitta and kapha overlay those four elements of the cycle, if you will. To give a very, very, very simplified understanding for those listening who are really new to the concept of Ayurveda, which is a health science from southern India, I'll give you a little bit of a rundown as to vata, pitta, kapha, which will help you understand how they then relate to the menstrual cycle. So vata, um, these qualities exist within each person individually. And of course, um, our constitutional prakriti, uh, one or two will be more dominant from birth, but they're within all of us. So vata being an embodiment of air, wind, movement, the downward force, it's cold, it's drying. Um, and again, remember, these are, it's, it tends to be easy to understand these qualities in, in a more negative state, I suppose. But when we look at the skin, it's dry, it's uh, flightiness and busyness, if you will, agitation, anxiety, mm. um, and even in some stages, in extreme stages, a real um, sense of depletion. And that can be physically and mentally. So that's vata. And then pitta is related to heat and fire and aggression, impatience. Sounds like me. <laughs> Menopause. <laughs> yes. It, so the pitta definitely governs the stage of menopause in life. Ah. <laughs> um, so just an intensity, but ambition as well, drive, um, you know, redness, red coloring of the skin and the hair. Um, and that, you know, we wouldn't want to generalize there. It's you know, but this is just a stereotypical and simplified general sense. You know, when we go back to Vata, Vata really from an elemental perspective is air and space. And then Pitta is 
predominantly fire um, with a little bit of water in there. And then finally is kapha. So kapha is associated to stability. It's the earth element and also water. It's more unctuous. It's oily. It's slow. It's stable, but it's also could be very depressed. It can be stagnation, you know, swelling, lots of fluid. Mm. So, um, you know, there's different ways we can understand these um, doshas from both a mental, mental and physical standpoint and also how they overlap with respect to our external environment. So the macrocosm and the relationship with that and the microcosm, so ourselves with our environment, these qualities are outside of us as well as inside of us. Um, so, you know, it's, it is complex. So this is a very simplified um, example. But from here, how we overlay that onto the menstrual cycle specifically. So when we are bleeding, um, when we are menstruating, this is from the first day of bleeding to the last day of bleeding, this is the vata stage. Mm, okay. So we call this uh, in Ayurveda, Raja Kala. You know, we often call menstruation our flow, right? And this is perfect because this is movement, right? And mm. Vata governs movement and more specifically the downward movement in the body. So we call this Apana Vayu and Vata is really seated the, the energy of vata in the body is seated in the pelvis again. So this is yes. another relationship to um, to the bleeding. Mm. It's also related to, because it's movement, it's related to cleansing. So in particularly in Ayurveda, we really believe that bleeding is a way the body cleanses itself. It removes armor and waste products and toxins mm. out of the body, which is why it's such an important thing to bleed every month. It's, it's, in, it's incredibly important. So this is um, the vata stage. And when we're looking to bring harmony at this stage of the cycle, we want to be supporting the adrenals. Um, we could look to a herb called ashwagandha, which is often given not only by Ayurvedic practitioners, but also by naturopaths. And this obviously strengthens the adrenals, but works with all systems of the body. But I think in a really simple way, the best thing that we can do is to rest, yeah. which is a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, and to support that downward flow, to support that process, we want to pacify the qualities of pitta, the cold, dry qualities, oh, excuse me, of vata, and we want to do this with oiliation and nourishment. So our foods should be grounding, warming, hydrating, nourishing so think your fats your butters your oils your warm grounding vegetables your sweet foods and by sweet i don't mean chocolate i mean sweet Damn foods it. like Damn it. <laughs> i mean like rice and sweet vegetables sweet fruits mm. you know nuts seeds and so on and no stimulants mm. i'm sorry to say That's but sad. no coffee we do often speak about that saying look caffeine I i'm addicted to caffeine i love it and i sort of limit myself to two but if i have any more i'm i'm just like this i'm crazy and i can't do anything and i feel really sick actually nauseous mm. as well because mm. it's too much um yeah so i understand that well mm. coffee is very agitating for both vata and pitta so it's heating it's overstimulating mm. it's drying um so no but even you know coffee aside anything that's really mm. stimulating so sugar um even caffeinated tea so black tea um because it's just not promoting it's not saying, I'm not saying don't have coffee. I'm just saying at that part of your cycle, it's best mm. to, yeah. I think when we're really intuitive, we know these things, mm. but our life does not actually support the menstrual cycle for the most part society. Mm. So we have to kind of keep moving, keep showing up to work. And so we push through and we drink the coffee and we take the stimulants just to get by. But in the long term, it can actually be very detrimental. And when there is a really high excess of Vata in somebody, that's when they actually naturally miss their periods. So they just don't have any bleeding or their mm. cycle is really, really short. Um, the blood might be very, very dark. So there's these indications, uh, I guess, from a diagnostic perspective where we can start to understand if there's an excess of one of the doshas in someone based on um, how they bleed or how mm. they don't bleed, if you will. And would that be also, Amy, um, in regards to people who are on the pill, who women are on the pill, um, is there, would there be a difference from somebody who is all out raw and natural mm. and someone who's on the pill? Yeah, because you're essentially, it's like an artificial cycle in a, in a sense. Mm. Um, you know, and I personally was on the pill for about 11 years. Um, I was very fortunate that my transition off the pill was quite smooth beyond a lot of acne around my jawline for 12 months, which I just persisted with. But I, I didn't, I did bleed as soon as I came off the pill. It was everything was quite normal and regular. And I think that that actually is because I never skipped periods. 
So mm. I, I, I guess in some respects, yes, it's still an artificial period in, in a sense because it's being artificially stimulated. But at least if you're having a period and you are bleeding every month, you are keeping some degree of predictability and regularity in the body, which is the best way to pacify vata. So vata thrives off predictability, consistency and regularity, which is how our nervous system feels stable and how we tap into that parasympathetic response. So if you're constantly living life in fight or flight or in a high stress state, this is a very vata agitated state. And it's, you know, for a lot of women, I mean, it's not black and white. There's other things that we need to take into consideration from an individual standpoint, but you know, why they might miss a period or there is a disturbance to their menstrual cycle because their body is so confused. There's mm-hmm. just so much irregularity and unpredictability and that menstrual cycle can be a ref- reflection of that. Mm. But yeah, so I'm a big advocate. If you're on the pill, you definitely want to be at least mimicking a natural cycle as best as you possibly can. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that one day when you do come off, the body will at least feel a sense of yeah, uh, regulation to continue that yes. cycle, at least as best as you can. Yes, I guess, yeah. again, I'm just generalizing here because mm. it's a, there's so many other things when we sit down with an individual that we need to take in, into account. So, But after the, the vata stage, so after the bleeding, we move on to the stage which is governed by kapha. So this is called ritukala. And this is when we obviously have that increase of estrogen, And it's a more supportive stage. It's where we tap into the qualities of kapha or we see them, we feel them. So we're really building that strength. We're preparing our inner soil. Um, you know, oh, I love that. <laughs> you know, but our inner soil. Yeah, we you are know, planting that seed for the, you know right. to have a baby, essentially, yes. right? Yeah. So um, we become, you know, more soft, more supple. Um, mm. There's a, a sense of strength. Um, our energy builds, and this is what kapha is about. So, it, and, and kapha is um, governs childhood as well. So that state of building and growth mm. um, and rejuvenation. So, you know, in a, it, you might experience some fluid retention or some weight gain at this point in your cycle. Again, it's very individual, depending on that person and their personal dosha and what's dominant in them. But yes, yeah, so this this essence of kapha is about when you from the period when you stop bleeding to when you ovulate. Yes. So that's that period there. Yeah. At this point, the things that we want to be doing to support ourselves is to be starting to move the body. So coming out of that resting state when we were mm. bleeding mm. and start to move the body, continue to maintain warmth. So vata and kapha really need warmth, um, but promoting circulation through gentle movement, could be walking, could be yoga, um, nothing aggressive, of course, or overly competitive, but just something nice and stable to move our lymph um, and to promote that circulation and to essentially de congest the body because kapha can bring a lot of congestion and stagnation. And I don't just mean sinus congestion, but that congestion through the lymphatic system and our circulation. Mm. So we could be looking to integrate things like turmeric, uh, aloe, aloe vera, aloe juice, um, which is wonderful. And then anything, I always think of um, the easiest way to understand using food or even essential oils with respect to um, balancing and stabilizing kapha qualities is to think of like Christmas smells, you know, typical Christmas oh, smells like the cinnamon. clove and the cinnamon. Yeah. yeah. Anything warming and spicy. Mm. Um, yeah. is really beautiful. So that's your kapha stage. And again, that's a, I think a pretty easy thing to sense when, as women, when we come out of our period, we feel that natural energy building and that strength mm. coming back. Mm. Right. And then we move into the third stage, which is governed by Pitta and it's, it's, It governs the ovulation and the luteal phase of the period or the menstrual cycle. And this is where we can easily burn ourselves out. So Pitta, yes, we have that great energy during ovulation. We usually feel at our best in some respects. We feel creative. We have that ambition, that drive. Um, But if we do too much, we can become really irritable. We can burn out. Um, We can over sort of stoke and stimulate our fire, mental fire, digestive Mm. fire. And so after ovulation, if we're going too hard and we continue to go too hard in that last final stage, we can burn ourselves out which can impact our hormones, progesterone, um, and also directly impact then how we experience bleeding and we move back into that vata stage. So you might notice some excess pitta 
with um, in that last phase with witnessing perhaps headaches um, and skin irritations. You might have digestive discomfort of either extremes. Um, so the digestion is the seat of pitta in the body. So that assimilating force, which is that fiery nature, we call it the agni, the digestive fire. And it's a phase where we really want to support the liver and the blood. And we can be really doing that by helping to clear the heat from the body. So aloe, again, is a great option. Lots of green things like mint and spirulina. Turmeric's wonderful as well when we're talking about supporting the liver. And uh, I definitely feel that for women, <clears throat> an important herb, an Ayurvedic herb is shatavari. I think every woman on the planet should be having shatavari. Uh, and this is one that will reduce excess pitta and also help to pacify vata. So it's a really great time in the cycle to be taking shatavari. Again, it's often um, used in naturopathy as well. It's a very, very safe herb. There are many Ayurvedic herbs, but I don't ever want to intimidate people, but they're, you know, it's easily accessible and you can take it in a capsule form or you can get it uh, as like medicated ghee, as clarified butter. You can get it in a powder form. There's mm. lots of different ways in tinctures, tonics. Um, but this is a really fantastic herb to stabilize that energy of pitta and bring harmony to the hormones at that part of the cycle. Mm. Wow. That's fantastic. So what we talk about is four weeks over the cycle. Yes. And most of our listeners or our moon lovers, they, they always listen to Kerry and I talking about, this is what happens in week one, week two, mm -hmm. week three, week four. Whereas in what I've just heard, there's usually about there's three kind of stages. stages, not weeks. So with the week one would be Vata because we talk about the first seven days. Mm -hmm. And then week two, which is Kapha, which is week two, uh, week two basic for us. And week three and four is where it goes into pitta, but we break it up. We say, well, week three is when we have the crash of after you ovulate, your estrogen drops quite rapidly and mm -hmm. you have a mini sort of, whoa, what's happening here? And then when progesterone rises, if it doesn't stay dominant, mm. that's where a lot of issues can happen at the end of the cycle. So that's why we talk about week four, because week four is all about PMS. Mm. So really pitta moves through week three and four basically mm -hmm. is that what we're saying yeah approximately because yeah. i think i mean yes it's easy just to say that to keep things simplified because yeah. obviously everybody mm. bleeds for different lengths of days True. and ovulates for different yeah. lengths of time mm. and and whatnot so we're almost overlapping the actions in the body rather than specifically weeks mm. if that makes sense but yes yeah. to keep things more simplified yeah yeah because yeah. then we also look at the phases of the moon so it's mm -hmm. kind of like there's so much information listeners yeah so Get your pens out. We could go down lots of wormholes. Oh, we could. I love it. I love it. So we have another question for you. Just I suppose now that we have a grounding and understanding of the menstrual cycle, and a lot of the women that we speak to on our podcast, they don't have – they're not on the pill. So that's why they, they, they're yearning for some strategies around how to manage sometimes this rather turbulent time. So can we touch on fertility? Because that's why a lot of people come off the pill, because they're at that age and they want to, you know, start having beer beers. Yep. So can, can you talk about, um, from an Ayurvedic perspective, fertility and how that is generally promoted um, in this modality? Sure. So we want to bring strength to the reproductive system and the reproductive organs. A very common protocol, if you will, for fertility, which actually applies for both women and men, right? Because as women, we tend to take on the load of, you know, doing everything to get, you know, everything lined up perfectly for having a baby. But, you know, the, the men really need to jump on board. And, and this is what we, we talked about in our home. And we both really saw the value in having a really, really clean diet and taking herbs and things in the lead up, right? In Ayurveda, we really recommend that for approximately three months prior to conception or when you're hoping to conceive to, and I know this sounds so simple, but eat extremely cleanly and avoid stimulants because then you're bringing yourself into a more natural rhythm and a natural state of harmony, if you will, right? We're not overstimulating and kind of controlling our environment, and then, of course, as I mentioned, taking herbs. So in general, we would say for the men to take the ashwagandha, the women to take the shatavari. And these are two really rejuvenative uh, herbs that specifically nourish the reproductive system and the reproductive functions. And so, you know, that's essentially what we did, you know, and we were very, very fortunate that we fell pregnant 
oh, I fell pregnant straight away. Wow. Um, okay. Yes. Mm. But we were very, very mindful as to, and you know, more so me, but very mindful as to what I was doing, right? So everything else, so to speak, took up a bit of a back seat. And I was like, right, I need to just eat really well, take these herbs every day, be very diligent and make sure my digestive system is also functioning optimally because in Ayurveda, we really believe that any, any imbalanced disease, disharmony or struggle in the body, it originates, it's rooted in some issue in the digestive system, mm. digestive function, which is kind of being a little bit more, and this is a whole other tangent, which we won't go down, but being more validated now by even um, science with respect to the gut microbiome and this yes. relationship yeah. and, mm. and so forth. And again, that's a whole other yep. tangent, but um, we really just want to bring our body into the greatest sense of calm, stability, regularity, and predictability as possible. It needs to feel safe and stable and strong. Now, again, this shatavari herb is wonderful for promoting fertility as well as supporting women after they've given birth. It's very, very safe and safe to use during pregnancy as well. Uh, so, you know, from a fertility perspective, that would be the simplest thing. If I was speaking with someone very individually, I'd be looking at everything that's going on for them and, and they'd have a specific protocol. And then I definitely would suggest, and we're kind of tying back in the essential oils here. There's some wonderful essential oils that are wonderful for promoting fertility in the body and, and supporting the reproductive system. Mm. Um, you know, you and I are both users of doTERRA and they have an incredible blend called Clary Calm, mm. which is exceptional for supporting women during their menstrual cycle and promoting fertility. One of the ingredients in that blend is called Vitex, which has been revered throughout history in Asia for promoting fertility. So there's a lot of essential oils in that blend that are incredible and very, very gentle and very safe. Mm. And so that would be, you know, if I was decided today that we were going to have another baby, that's what I would be, you know, using on a regular basis. My eyes just lit up then. <laughs> I love your little monkey. He's so gorgeous. He's a sweetie. I think he needs a little brother or sister. I know. He actually asked for one the other day. Oh, did he? Yeah. Well, there you go. There's well, your answer. I know. I know. Okay, get onto those herbs, lovey. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, I take them pretty regularly anyway because they're. this is the beauty of oh, them. They're, okay, so, you know, get, so it's not just for fertility? Mm. No, no, not at all. So perfect for your menstrual cycle and perfect for fertility and that's, right. that's beauty like a lot of ayurvedic herbs the ones that are um, used for rejuvenation and building rather than detoxification and cleansing so there's two different kind of categories that herbs fit in ones that are ones you know that really build and strengthen the body and so they're mm. very safe to take mm. at all times as long as you don't have a high level of ama in the body so ama being undigested food or toxins and you know and so forth very safe to take at all times which is which is so nice yeah that's wonderful Ama, that's what I've been trying to get rid of because I think I eat too much food because I've just before the podcast I was sharing with you how I have been challenging myself not to watch TV, Netflix and Stan and all those other ones and not to have an evening meal, maybe have like a very light supper at four o'clock maybe with some soup. Mm. And I must admit I sleep better and I wake up at five o'clock well and happy as opposed to like sluggish and like, oh my God, what have I got to do today? Mm. So ama. Yes. And that's, that's like mm. a whole yeah. dialogue in itself. Okay. But yeah, it, if you're not physically having physical sensations of hunger, then there is an issue there with your digestive yeah. system. And, and mm. you know, doing what you're doing is essentially a mild form of fasting. And it's, yep. and it's ensuring that when you go to bed at night, you're not digesting food, but instead your digestive system is actually having an opportunity to repair itself. Yes. When I had my consultation with you uh, some years back now, and that was one of the things that took away from that saying, you know, look, you know, 80% of the food really should be one third food, one third water and one third empty. And I'm going, oh my God, I'm, I eat till I'm full. And so I sit on the lounge and go, oh, I feel so good. And then I get indigestion. And I think because of my age as well, when you age, I think everything sort of slows down anyway. Mm. Anyway, we're off track. That's I want okay. to actually change gears completely sure. now. Go for it. And whenever I speak about my podcast series and saying, well, what is it all about? And I talk about, well, it's about women's menstrual cycle uh, and the moon cycle. And everybody recoils. They go, what? Mm. So it's, it's still really unsavory to sort of share and talk about it. I love it. I think it's fantastic. And if I had a podcast like this or many other podcasts out there about um, fertility and menstruation and understanding my body, I would have been a more stable woman 
because I was all over the place. So this is my next question to you. Why do you feel the subject of, or well, maybe you don't feel it is. Do you think that the subject of menstruation is taboo um, in many cultures? And I know that you are a wonderful fan of India, as am I. So yeah, tell us about what you feel about that. Look, I, you know, I'm not an authority on this at all by any means. And I could change my mind any day now on what I'm about to say, but I feel as though women are shunned and the menstrual cycle is shunned due to the history of inequality between women and men, to be honest. Mm. And in some respects to deny the menstrual cycle in some degree is just a denial of womanhood. And it's uncomfortable for people. And I think that that's just due to a lack of education. And I think that that's the case for most things in the Mm. world. Mm. Um, And yes, of course, we've come leaps and bounds in the Western world. And, you know, I'm very fortunate. My husband's totally cool about, you know, blood and periods and pads and things like that. You know, and I'm using cloth pads and I rinse them in the bathroom and I just like leave them there on the bathroom sink. And I mean, you don't see anything, but he's fine, you know, Mm. whereas I'm sure there'd Mm. be men out there that would be a little freaked out by that. Mm. And I talked to our little boy, like, oh, mummy's bleeding. And he'll, you know, if I go to the toilet, I pull down my undies and he sees and he's like, oh, you know, so it's almost, um, I'm trying to normalize it in Mm. our household, Mm. you know, and I, and I grew up, but it wasn't a, a big issue in our household by any means. But I do think, you know, in other cultures, you know, when we look at history, women in some ways are segregated because it's believed as being something dirty, but it's just coming from a total misunderstanding. And Mm. really, I I don't know, culturally, historically, if it stems from men feeling threatened because of this incredible power that women really have when they're attuned to their cycle, which I'm sure women used to be when we didn't have electricity disturbing our cycles and, you know, melatonin and our sleep cycles and things like that. I really feel like there would have been some great degree of power. It would have been hard though for women because they wouldn't have had, you know, sanitary products like we do now too. So there would have been an element of difficulty just to get on with daily life, particularly if you're a woman that has a very, very heavy Mm. blood flow. Mm. I can't imagine what that would have been like. That would have been very, very difficult. Mm. So I think it's a mix of things. Um, I think it's a really outdated belief system to think that there's anything wrong with or dirty about bleeding. Mm. And I think if um, we as women and men were more informed and had a really deep understanding about the different phases of the menstrual cycle, I think the world would be a much better place. It's because we're so disconnected to the seasons and rhythms of the environment, you know, in itself. And that's not limited to being male or female. That's around, that's, that's everything. And yet we're so disconnected from it again, coming back to things like electricity and, you know, we can have what we want when we want and we can eat what we want when we want. We have no real sense of seasonal, rhythm and living and so that in itself has been so culturally ingrained particularly actually in the west that i think we just don't value seasons and that's what the menstrual cycle is it's it's an it's a real beautiful representation of the seasons Mm. um that exist again within us and around us so i think when we start to really respect nature and rhythm and seasonal living we will come to have a far greater appreciation and reverence for the menstrual cycle. And that is for women too. A Mm. lot of women still push hard, go hard, Mm. dismiss, take the pill, stop their period. It's a, it's a great disconnection Mm. from ourselves. Yeah. And it's really important for them to start early because once you hit menopause, it is a whole different kettle of fish. Yes, you don't have your period, but there's so many other challenges that you have to um, face and mm. if you've been on the pill all your life and then you suddenly come off it and and you don't have a period it's just I've never been on the pill I beg your pardon I've been on the pill for two years and then coming off it was quite horrific because I found it really difficult and so I think that what we're trying to help our listeners is to ground themselves and to just take away all the nonsense that our parents put on us as well because my my darling mum who's no longer with me she just kind of gave me a pad and and she said you ought to wear that when you're you know when you're um you know Bleeding. you know hmm. she didn't ever say oh, that no yeah, no, right. no 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 she would yeah, never right. say that and i went what oh, yeah because it's a sex education in the 70s mm. it wasn't that great either mm. i mean really there was no sex education at all mm. My hope is that 
women really embrace every single week on their cycle and they understand that this week they do this. This mm. week now they're going to be powerful. The third week now is going to be this and the fourth week is going to be that. And yes, when you bleed, it can also be a beautiful time. But there has to be changes in the household. Mm. There has to be changes within you. Like turn off TV. Don't have coffee. Um, alcohol. We had just did a podcast because it's the uh, um, full moon in Capricorn coming up. And we're talking about alcohol consumption and how can we dismiss that out of our lives so that our period, when we get our period, um, we can actually focus in on doing things for ourselves that are more nourishing and kind because the Capricorn energy, apparently, as Kerry would advise, one of the elements is that it does push you mm. to do a bit more. Mm. And so to counteract that, just like the doshas, what can you do to rest more and, and honour yourself more? Well, in Ayurveda too, it's believed that if you are experiencing symptoms of PMS, like notable symptoms, breast tenderness, headaches, any kind of pain, that these symptoms are a sign to you that you are out of balance, you are not living according to your cycle. Mm. So in Ayurveda, we believe that if you are living harmoniously, you will not actually have symptoms of PMS that actually are uncomfortable or painful, etc. Yes. And then, you know, the other great consideration is in Ayurveda, we believe that we should be preparing for menopause early, 20s even, yep. 30s, mm. like understanding what's coming and mm. what can I do just slowly and steadily in my life that is priming me for that great transition because it's it's the culmination of the pitta stage in our life. So as I mentioned earlier, childhood is governed by the kapha qualities predominantly, so from birth up into puberty. And then we get our first hit of and spike of hormones and that's when we turn to that pitta stage of life. And that governs from puberty all the way to the end of menopause and it peaks at menopause, that final mm. surge of pitta, of heat, of fire, mm. right? So if we are living a life that is excessively pitta-driven, so excessively ambitious, pushing ourselves, going hard, going fast, we will have a very challenging menopause, Right, the yeah. symptoms will really come on strong right. because the pitta will rise. So again, in Ayurveda, ah, yeah. um, menopause should be very smooth and mm. almost like unnoticeable. Mm. Just you know, you might stop bleeding and that's it. Yeah. Ideally, in a perfect world, mm. because what happens is once you have finished menopause, you then move into your final stage of life, which is governed by vata. So vata, remember, is dry and cold. And so if we have burned ourselves out through excessive fire think of a bush mm. a fire has just ravaged that bushland gone through it when it's moved out what's left a dry almost lifeless oh, terrain yes and that is what you are left with wow and you're already in that stage of life where your body is going to mm. deplete itself your muscles start to degrade mm. right your tissues break down yes. right um you'll you'll become more fragile more vulnerable that's your vata stage so the worst thing you can do is to just like burn yourself out right so you want to be in your early years in your 20s in your 30s and onward priming yourself for menopause yeah, yeah. so that you have a really sweet transition so then you move into the vata final stage of life in a really harmonious way mm. at a you know a good starting point mm. you know one of the greatest things i think that uh, is so important and you know again i feel like a hypocrite here because i don't do it near as much as I should, but is abhyanga, so self-massage. So using a carrier oil of some kind that's appropriate perhaps to your constitution. So, you know, for example, pitas might use coconut oil, kapha might use mustard seed, vatas might use a sesame, a cold-pressed sesame oil. Warm this oil up and massage it all over your body every day or even mm. once a week, even once a month. So mm. anything's better than nothing. And mm. this is giving you the nourishment and the stability to carry you through into those later years, right? Mm. You want to actually in those later years be trying to embody and cultivate as much of that kapha strength and stability mm. and unctuousness and nourishment. I always think of those beautiful kapha women with the, you know, they're in their 80s and they look like, you know, mm. 20 years younger. They've got the perfect skin and the, you know, voluptuous yep. body and the beautiful mm. lush hair yep. and the big eyelashes mm. and, you know, and they're just stunning yeah so people yeah. that have a lot of kapha in them at their final stage of life are going to have a lot of um 
great health yeah, I in love many that. ways. Anyway. And I do love when you said about the great transition because, as you know, I, I started menopause. So I went into menopause at 48 so um, in 2014. So my mum passed on the 18th of December 2013 and I stopped my period in January 2014 and I haven't had one since. I was in shock, basically. Mm. And so I didn't have any perimenopausal symptoms. I don't necessarily believe in that. I think you just go to menopause. But anyway, that's my opinion. But one of the things that has really helped me is my essential oils. Mm. And so this is where I, I, when I met with you, I think we went to Bali on one of your trips in 2014, 13? Yeah, somewhere, 2015 maybe. Yeah, and you had an essential oil class class and explained it to me. And the first thing I went, oh, what the hell? What (laughs) the hell? What little drops of oils can do something? That's just ridiculous, Amy. Mm. I mean, I love you, Amy, really, but seriously, oils. But I trust you. And I thought, okay, well, I'll give it a go. So I, I purchased a few oils. And then I looked into some other oils that you had mentioned. You said, Susie, why don't you get Clarisage, Ylang Ylang, Bergamo. Um, I think there were a couple of other ones as well, but Clarisage was the one that I used a lot. Mm. And wow. Oh, my goodness. It was. Um, it really helped my body come back into a homeostasis sort of place. My hot flushes weren't, well, weren't really there at all. I mean, I was hot, but not like... Yes. So essential oils for menopause. I never use essential oils for menstruation, so I'd love your take on that, mm. what oils you use now. Mm. But for menopause, definitely Clarisage has been my absolute go-to. But ylang Lang, interestingly, or when you're in menopause, you don't really have a lot of... I've been there, you know, done that <laughs> sort of sexual sort of energy. But with mm. the ylang Lang, it does actually stimulate the senses and the nervous system and the endocrine system. And it's really quite – and I feel my breasts get fuller because mm. I still have estrogen. It just comes – instead of the ovaries, it comes through other parts of my body. But I feel that in my breast area when I have ylang Lang on and Clarisage and a few other ones. So that's me with menopause. But I'm sure everybody would love to know your take on what essential oils you use for menstruation mm-hmm. or in fact your entire cycle yeah. do you have it you know throughout the month what do you do well first thing i wanted to say is that you know those floral oils are an absolute go-to for supporting mm. women and i think when we look you know flowers are so feminine and beautiful and um mm. it just makes total sense yep. and yes ylang ylang is divine and i always think of ylang ylang, ylang and jasmine as being two of just the great essential oils just for promoting that femininity and womanhood and Mm. they're stunning so personally for my cycle when i am bleeding when i'm menstruating i i do always reach for that clary calm blend so for those listening you know clary calm's got quite a long list of essential oils in there but it's main ingredient is clary sage which is Mm. fabulous for women's hormonal health um you know, lavender, it's got bergamot in there. It's got a lot of different essential oils. It's got the Vitex, which we touched on earlier. So it's mm. basically very synergistically and intelligently made to support. It's, you know, it's the women's monthly blend after all. Yeah. You know, and it's and it's stunning in so many ways. It's great for skin irritation and sleeping and things like that. But it's, you know, intention primarily is, is to support um, women's health, right? Mm. So that's always the blend that I go for. And if I am getting any you know, symptoms of pain or aches or discomfort in my body, I will generally utilize something like wintergreen or their blend, which contains wintergreen, which is called ice blue, you know, my back or my belly, and it's got a really nice warming sensation. So that's stereotypically what I use. Of course, I'll use different essential oils if I'm looking for something just to support with uh, my emotional state, you know, because we can Mm -hmm. feel very emotional at those times. Um, but yeah, so that would be predominantly what I'm using when I'm bleeding and certainly Clarisage on its own. It's almost like a little boost to top that into the Claricalm blend. So that's mm. what I personally would use. And then, you know, and I always consider the Ayurvedic um, application or relationship to aromatherapy. So we know that, as we've mentioned, Vata governs the stage of bleeding. So I'm going to be reaching for any essential oils that pacify Vata, and that could even just be diffusing them. But interestingly, um, Vata is, I guess, pacified, and this is a nice little tie-in with essential oils, 
the vata dosha is pacified and supported by anything that promotes the earth element, right? So it's vata is air and space and it benefits from water and earth, that grounding, grounding nature. And essential oils are, they fall into the category of the earth element. So essential oils are Mm. perfect for vata. And we live in a vata aggravated world right now. Mm. Every single person really most likely has some kind of vata disturbance happening right now. So essential oils are such a beautiful gift for pacifying vata mentally, emotionally, and physically. So absolute important integration beautiful for when you're bleeding and and of course any time in your cycle um but yeah so specifically i'd be reaching for vata pacifying essential oils and to generalize here we'd be looking at you know your flowers and your woods and anything grounding um mm. would be would be wonderful and again that's it's not quite that black and white but you know to simplify things mm. so and then of course you know i find throughout the rest of my cycle it's more intuitive based on my needs during the day um, and another combination I really, really love to use uh, when I'm moving towards menstruation is, again, wintergreen with the Whisper blend, oh, the women's blend. Beautiful. It's yeah. an interesting combination. But again, it's been formulated, the blend itself, to be great for women's hormones and health mm. and so forth. So it, it's like those two blends have already just been perfectly married together but if you broke them down and look at the individual ingredients that's going to show you you know what would be really great for you and in the whisper blend for example you've got the jasmine in there so um yeah but to be honest with you just with my essential oil use it's it's very specific day to day because Mm. i use so many of them Mm. and they're just such wonderful transitions in helping me physically mentally and emotionally just get through life every Mm. day the gems aren't they i love them look at mine here crazy i know but every i know exactly what i do for every hour of the day yeah and like my nails have improved so much for using tea tree it's amazing Mm. tea tree oil is one of the most amazing things for menopause women with brittle nails it's so nourishing Mm. especially a little bit bit of jojoba oil or some other sort of yeah well and that's the thing too from an ayurvedic perspective when you're weaving in essential oils if you're putting them on the body you can then consider the carrier oil yes um Mm. i mean you know there are carrier oils that are tridoshic um that are good for all three doshas but then if you want to get a little bit more nitty-gritty you could be considering different uh carrier oils for each of the doshas as well depending on your own personal constitution or perhaps the time of the year that you're in so at the moment we're in winter so we might take a heavier more nourishing carrier oil to apply our essential oils onto the body you know, or you might look at your, you know, menstrual cycle and figure out where you are. So you can be creative in that respect. Um, so the carrier oil is medicine in itself in it that is. respect. So so that's the essential oil. So what about your, uh, your Ayurvedic knowledge in regards to your personal menstrual cycle? What would you do? Is it just food that you would choose or do you actually have supplements that you take? Uh, so for me personally, literally I prioritise. So my constitution is vata pitta so it's a pretty much lifelong same approach and application it's lots of abhyanga and self-massage to ground and nourish and then changing up the essential oils depending on my needs then the diet is as nourishing grounding warming and hydrating as it can be and i'm definitely not perfect my goodness i just i don't listen to my own advice as we're all guilty of so often but the awareness is key, you know. I, I never drink coffee ever. Uh, I drink black tea maybe once every, gosh, four months. Mm. I just I just don't do it. I mm. know it's it's so dehydrating. It's so excessively stimulating. Um, I know when I'm exhausted and I have a beautiful cup of traditional masala chai, so mm. spiced black tea milk. I actually get this really nice sustained energy through the day, and and but then it's still totally not what I need because I was exhausted beforehand. So, you know, um, so, you know, I make a lot of Ayurvedic beverages, if you will. I do call them chai, but they're not, you know, chai technically means tea. Uh, But I, you know, I do them without black tea and I just use the appropriate seasonal spices. That's a really big thing for me. Those warming spiced milks. It doesn't have to be cow's milk. It can be a non-dairy milk of choice. Honestly, I really look to diet and lifestyle. I look to consistency and regularity as much as I can, which is so important for children too. So having a little boy, kids thrive on predictability and consistency and 
so do we in a Vata deranged world. Mm. You know, and our lifestyle at home due to my husband's work and my work is actually very irregular. Um, so it's very noticeable for me how we can very easily be thrown off by that. So, mm. yeah, just creating as much predictability and routine. And the thing with Ayurveda too is, is that it's often the simplest things that are the most beneficial and impactful, but the easiest things for us to just dismiss and mm-hmm. ignore. But we really know what we need to do. And our lifestyle is set up that we'd much rather pop a pill just to get us through or have another cup of coffee <laughs> rather than really sitting down with ourselves and, and making some changes. Oh, Amy, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this whole You're COVID... like my doctor now. This can... whole COVID-19 situation, I think, has been oh. a wonderful blessing for many people. At least I'll yeah. speak to people in Australia here. Mm. Um, we've been in some respects, forced to slow down. And, and yes. it's been a nice time of reflection. And, and and I hope that we will continue to prioritize our health and well-being. Um, you know, I know that so many people in our doTERRA community really valued their essential oils tremendously over mm. the last few months, mm. um, as, I, as we did in our household. And so really nurturing ourselves on a day-to-day basis is so incredibly important. And simply something like body massage with some essential oils. I'm going to do that. Um, is, yeah. You know, it's such an yep. act of self-care and self-love, which is, I know, such cliched terms right now, but it truly, truly is. It's like loving up your own body and your mm. joints and your skin, mm. um, your nervous system. It, this is a, a slight side note here, but I do think it's really important to say that, you know, we have to be extremely discerning as to what we put on our skin. Um, as far as I'm concerned, if it's not good enough to eat, then I won't put it on my body. Yeah. So I'm not turning around here and saying you have to ingest essential oils, but you know, if, it, if your essential oils have not been approved as safe for internal consumption, then, you know, putting them on your body or breathing them in, they go directly into your bloodstream. That's true, yes. They don't even get the digestive organs to filter them. Yeah. So it, I think in some respects that's actually more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. I have one more question before mm, we please. sort of wrap it up. So what is the relationship and value between Ayurveda and essential oils? What's the... So as I mentioned, you know, essential oils are a really important um, use of the earth element, which we really need in our modern world today. But I think it really, in a simple sense, comes back to the fact that in Ayurveda, we really value plants as medicine, nature Mm. as medicine, right? So even if someone came to me for an Ayurvedic consultation, yes, I do almost always diagnose and prescribe some kind of Ayurvedic herbs, which are natural plants and plant extracts. But at the same time, we don't, we don't want to be overly prescriptive. We don't want to start to behave like, you know, the methodology of, of modern medicine, which is so important and valued and we need it in society, but we've become a very sort of pharmaceutically prescriptive driven world where we just want to take pills and medication for things. Mm. You know, the great thing with Ayurvedic um, herbs is that there's no real side effects. It's not like you take one and then you have to go and get another one to counteract the side effects you know so that's that's really really important right yes so but again it's just coming back to plants and nature and ayurveda existed long before the technology existed to create essential oils but you know in vedic times they were using resins and barks and leaves over fire like fire is central to vedic culture in the vedic texts the first word in the vedas which are the most important humongous texts of vedic culture in history the first word is agni and agni means fire Mm. like everything in vedic culture and 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 the human race evolved because of fire and mm. purification and being able to cook food, right? So everything comes back to comes back to plants and nature and what mm. they can offer us, which mm. is why essential oils have become such a valued modality and application with respect to Ayurvedic mm. living, mm. if you will. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm. That's great. Thank you so much, Amy. You're very welcome. Some of our listeners would probably love to chat to you or even sort of get in touch with you. So how can we find you? I know how to find you right next to me, but how how would they find you? And what can I put into my show notes for them to find you? So my website is amyelandry.com. My Facebook, you can find me at amylandry. Or if you want the URL address, it's facebook.com forward slash amyelandry. And then Instagram is amyelandry. So A-M-Y-E. L-A-N-D-R-Y. Wonderful. 
if somebody wanted to go and buy some books or some resources, yep. what could they what could they do? So on the sort of tying into what we've spoken about today, so there's a fantastic book by Dr. Claudia Welch and it's called Balance Your Hormones, Balance Your Life. And this is about really um, focusing on women's hormonal health from the modalities of Ayurveda, Chinese medicine and Western medicine. Wow. So it's Okay. exceptional. It ties them all together. It looks at the value that they all bring. So that's a really comprehensive and it's a very rich book that I would highly recommend. Um, also, uh, Alisa Vitti has a couple of wonderful books. They're not related to Ayurveda at all, but they're the books that I personally have loved. So she's got Woman Code and then a newer book called Flow. Um, and these are fantastic books, particularly for women that are still menstruating. I would highly, highly recommend them. Woman Code's been around for quite a while. Um, and f- so Flow's probably a little bit more up to date with maybe what we know now based on science. So we know mm. a bit more. And so that's how the book's evolved. And then there's also a very, very exquisite book called Sattva. So Sattva being a Sanskrit word, S-A-T-T-V-A. And Sattva is a beautiful book on Ayurveda. So pretty much all the elements of Ayurveda in a very digestible and very poetic way. It's such an exquisite book. And it's written um, by a UK couple, Emine and Paul Rushton. And that one is something that just sits on my bedside table forever because it's just so pretty and the content is stunning. Uh, So, And then the last one I would probably say for those of you listening that are interested in this understanding and the relationship of Ayurveda and aromatherapy is a book by Brian and Light Miller and it's called Aromatherapy and Ayurveda. That's wonderful. And what about you, Amy? What's happening for you? What's I know you do retreats and you have your own podcast as well, and I'll have yes. that as a link. Well, what's coming up for you? Okay. Well, we're in an interesting time. So next year I'm taking a beautiful group on yoga retreat uh, on the island of Amorgos in Greece. So that's happening in July 2021. Uh, we're hoping to go ahead with our India Yatra, which mm-hmm. is an India trip or pilgrimage, if you will, in 2021 as well. Fingers crossed. That's a little up in the air. That was supposed to go ahead this year and we're hoping to postpone it to t- next year. And then, yes, I've got the Living in Alignment podcast and um, I'm teaching yoga in Newcastle. I'm doing online Ayurvedic consultations at the moment. So, and I'm personally just immersing in a lot of study and studentship right now. Um, as you know, I study classical Odissi dance from which originates in Orissa in Eastern India. So there's lots of beautiful things that I like to weave into all that I do and they tend to tie together so beautifully. Mm, yeah. It's wonderful. It has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much mm. for being here with me. I'm so honoured that you asked me. Yay. What a treat. Yep. What a treat. Such a delight. Yes. Okay, my friends. Thank you so much for being here. I think I'm going to cry. It's just been wonderful. I've learned so much. So from me, it's goodbye. And Amy, any more last words? I'm just so grateful for those of you listening and being so open to all these concepts. Really appreciate it. Bye for now, guys. Bye.